friends, I'm Christine Chappell, and you're listening to the Hope and Help podcast from IBCD, where we host biblical conversations about life's challenging problems. In this episode, I chat with pastor and author Tim Shorey about his book, Respect the Image, Reflecting Human Worth in How We Listen and Talk. For more help on the topics we discussed today, visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help, where you can access notes from today's episode and browse related resources from our digital library. Before we get started, let me introduce you to my guest. Tim Shorey has been in vocational pastoral ministry for 39 years and is the lead pastor of Risen Hope Church in Delaware County, Pennsylvania. He has authored four books, including Respect the Image, Reflecting Human Worth and How We Listen and Talk, as well as his most recent book, An ABC Prayer to Jesus, Praise for Hearts Both Young and Old. He is married to Gaylene, his wife of 43 years, and has six grown children and 13 grandchildren. Hey there, Tim. Thanks so much for joining us for the show today. Uh, You are welcome. Thank you, Christine, for uh, inviting me. Looking forward to our conversation. I'm really looking forward to this conversation because it is personally relevant for me right now. And so I'm really, really excited and looking forward to being able to ask you some questions based on what I've been reading in the book thus far. But before we do that, can you go ahead and spend a few minutes sharing about why you wanted to write this particular book? Yeah, the the, uh, history of the book actually goes back to the 90s. Um, Fairly early on in my ministry, I began to do a lot of counseling. And as that counseling, those counseling hours and opportunities added up, I began to really sense two or three uh, needs, like the, the big needs that people have in their life. The the first is they need more of God, just who God is, what God is like in all of his glory, his goodness, his grace, his love, his mercy. People just need more of God. They need more of the gospel, who they are in Christ, what it means to uh, be born again and transformed by the power of Christ, the freedom of grace and justification. They need more of the gospel, more of God, more of the gospel. And then the third thing that I began to sense, which feels at first hearing like a huge come down from the first two, is people need to learn how to communicate. I would spend hour after hour with couples, with individuals who were struggling in relationships. And at the foundation of it all was just an inability to to listen, inability to talk, people uh, almost clueless in the basics of communication with each other. And that drove me to scripture to, to just study the various texts of scripture that deal, and examples in scripture that deal with communication and just interaction as human beings. And uh, over time, that developed into some material that became kind of the organizing material in my book that uh, I tested in the church I was pastoring, uh, so to speak, and then also taught at a public high school for a number of years in their family living course, which was an interesting experience. Uh, But in teaching it, came to realize the desperate need, not just in the church, but outside the church. People just don't know how 
to listen and talk. And uh, so this material became a vital part of my counseling ministry over the years, used time and again and taught time and again. And early on, I thought maybe it would become a book. Uh, but I was a dad of six children and was raising the kids and busy with ministry, and it just didn't feel like there was time to write at that point. But uh, the time came a couple of years ago and was uh, thankful that the Lord provided somebody who's willing to publish it, and that gave me a chance to kind of put it all down on paper, so to speak, and hopefully help as many people as possible. As I've been reading the book, I've been really struck by just how approachable it is, but also how the, the way that you are taking the content that you present and how it makes so much sense. But you're right. It's like, how often do we actually slow down to study and reflect on these particular topics? So again, I'm just really thankful for you being with us for the conversation, um, because I think that it's definitely going to be helpful and hopefully push people to check out what it is that you're presenting here. In the introduction of the book, you write that, quote, how we define humanness will decide the quality of every relationship in our lives. That's one of those statements where we read that and we're like, really? Is that is that true? Because we, I mean, I personally have never, ever <laughs> taken the time to reflect on something like that. So the statement really sets the tone for how you approach the whole topic of communication. Can you explain what you mean by that statement? Yes, it's a truth that, again, as you say, in one sense, it ought to be plain and obvious to us, but we don't make the connections about it. When we, when we think about what it means to be human, what is a human being? I think of the very first words ever spoken that we ever find in scripture to define and describe human beings. And it's in Genesis 1, uh, 26 and 27, God saying, let us make man in our image. And then he proceeds to make male and female in his image. What does it mean to be human? It, it means to be made in the image of God. This, this is fundamental to our humanness to our humanity and when we realize that it changes everything and how we interact with each other uh, i in the book i'd like to uh, in the book i do make reference to the fact that the the vowel we choose when describing human beings is is very very important uh, if we if we choose the the letter i we get the word chimp and if we think about human beings as, as chimps, as chimpanzees, as cousin to the apes, as many people do, then, well, what real dignity or value do we have? And if the person I'm talking to is equal to a chimp, then do I really need to show respect? Do I really need to show honor? Do I need to show care? There's another option, and that is that the person is a chump, and that is somebody who uh, is is broken, somebody who makes mistakes, uh, somebody who is a sinner. And there is truth to that, but it's not the whole truth. We, we know from scripture that people are not chimps. Uh, you could say that they are chumps, that they are broken, sinful people who just stumble and bubble along. But that would be inadequate. Ultimately, people are champs. Uh, they are those made in the image of God, made to have dominion 
over the earth, made to share the, um, the glory and even the kingdom of Christ. Uh, we are champions. Uh, and if that is true, then that needs to affect how I listen and how I talk. That means that you, that means that my wife, Gaylene, that means that my children and my grandchildren and the people I pastor and whoever it is, whatever their culture or color or condition or class or anything else, uh, whatever and whoever they are, they are champions, they are image bearers of God. And if believers are destined for glory, destined for majesty, therefore, I better be very careful how I talk, very careful how I listen to make sure that I'm honoring those that are made in God's image. The way that you unpack that with chimps, chumps, and champs was so insightful just to me personally. And it was actually very convicting too, as I saw those words there and, and saw myself in terms of how I, you know, even just in my family relations with my children or with my husband, you know, how easy it is to kind of fall back into the, I'm, I'm talking to you as a chimp or a chump and not necessarily a champ. And so anyway, I, I thank you for that for that illustration, it was just helpful to me in terms of being more mindful of how I am communicating to uh, the people that I love the most, um, because I, I hadn't really thought through that in the way that you described it before. Now, I'd like, before we kind of dig into some of the nitty gritty of the book, I'd like for you to just continue building a foundation for this conversation by explaining the three theological truths that you highlight in this resource that are important to keep top of mind as we discuss how to have respectful communications with other people, especially in the midst of conflict. Yeah, there's, a, as, I, as I wrote this book, I was mindful that there, there are other very, very good books on uh, the topic of communication, and um, but some of them focus almost entirely on the practical, on the to-dos, on the how-tos, and can get close to kind of a kind of a list approach, or or a, I, I don't want to be overly critical, but a kind of moralistic approach. Here's here's the things to do. Then I've read other books that really deal with the theology of it all, with very little practical application. And in this book. I at least try to bring those two together. So I start by highlighting those, those three uh, truths that, first of all, God talks and listens. God is a talking God. God is a communicating God. He is a listening God. The most frequent words in the first chapter of the Bible are, and God said, and God said. He's a talking God and a listening God and the whole you know, in scripture, in nature, and as I say, even in the manger, in the incarnation, God is talking to us in a very real sense. He never stops talking to us. And so our ability to communicate makes us God-like. We are reflecting the, the image and uh, character of God. And if we communicate well, we are godly. We are progressing in godliness and not just like him in the sense that we listen, but like him in the sense that we listen well. Uh, so this, this truth that God talks and listens is, is really foundational to, to the book. And I try to, 
I try to weave it throughout the book in a variety of ways. The second truth is the one we've already mentioned that, that humans are made in the image and likeness of God. And this makes all the difference as C.S. Lewis puts it, there are no mere mortals. You've never talked to a mere mortal. And that, like we've already said, that, that affects how I listen and how I talk. And then the third truth is that in all of our communication, we need the gospel. And my own experience and the experience of so many people I've talked to is that people feel perhaps the deepest and strongest regret over things in their past that are connected to how they've communicated, particularly with loved ones in a marriage, uh, parent to children, children to parents, brothers to sisters, where break the, communication is broken down or communication has gotten heated and unhelpful and destructive. And people's guilt, their regret over things they've said uh, can be very deep and very strong. And, and for that reason, we need the gospel. We, we need to know that Jesus died for our, our sins of communication, just like he died for every other sin in our life. And his grace and the freedom of his forgiveness is just as real, just as strong, just as effective for the bad words that we have spoken or the failure of communication that we've been guilty of. His, his righteousness covers all of that. We need the gospel. If we don't have the gospel, then we're approaching this out of guilt and shame and in a desperate attempt to somehow or other piece together all the brokenness of our relationships. If you have the gospel, you're, you're functioning on a foundation of, I'm already approved in Christ. I'm already accepted in Christ. I don't have to fix my relationships to be forgiven. I am forgiven. Uh, out of that forgiveness, I can now relate to others in a better and more healthy way. So I hope that those truths are not only foundational, but I hope they're, they're woven throughout the book in a way that uh, encourages people as they Inevitably, reading the book, there are going to be points of conviction that happen. There were for me, even in writing. There were points where I said, man, I'm writing this, but I'm not doing this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and and I, need, I need grace just like everyone else. Well, you organized the book in a really creative way by using the acronym COMMUNICATE. Basically, every letter of the word COMMUNICATE presents a chapter. While we don't have time to dive deeply into the substance of each principle in the acronym COMMUNICATE, can you unpack this acronym for us so we can have a high-level view of the biblically informed path that you lay out for readers who are desiring to pursue godly communication in their lives? Yes, as, as you say, uh, Christine, the, uh, the book is really organized around the word uh, communicate. So each chapter begins with the successive letter of that word. So C is chill, O is open up, M is make time, the next M is mean what you say, and then you understand what you hear, N, nourish with grace. I initiate peace, C, celebrate others, A, assume you're wrong, uh, T is think the best, and E is examine your heart. And each of these develops into, into a chapter 
that really deals with the, first of all, our general approach to communication and the things that we need to just kind of get, get into place. We need to chill. We need to open up. We need to make time. Uh, we need to mean what we say, understand what we hear. Those have to do almost with the logistics of communication. Then the later chapters deal a lot more with the content of our communication, those things that we ought to be focusing on as we interact with each other. And it is a, a longer than usual acronym or acrostic. And I, I, I decided to go with that. You know, they're, they're, rather than just kind of give four easy points on or one, two, three steps on how to communicate better. I thought that to actually use a longer acronym to actually include all of these principles uh, would be helpful because it actually communicates that this is not a you know, three easy step approach to life and relationships. This is a thorough and pervasive life change. <laughs> and it requires attention at all these levels. Uh, and and really to, to remove any of these is to, is to remove an essential for our uh, relationships. I'll, I'll never forget years ago in a counseling session, it was a, a couple that was, they were just barely hanging on in their marriage. And in fact, I would say the only thing really keeping them together was a couple of kids that you know were like almost like scotch tape, just kind of holding this family together. And, and it was about to just break all apart. And they came to me for counseling and I spent a few sessions going through this material. When we got done, she said to me, Tim, what you're saying is that we need a whole new way of life. This isn't just a couple of helpful hints. This is, this is a new way of life. This is fundamentally different than anything we've ever done before in our relationship and in our marriage. And that is sadly uh, the case time and again. And this acronym, long as it is, actually helps, I think, to people to realize this. This is this is not going to be a simple one, two, three step. Uh, this is an extreme makeover, so to speak, of, of life by the grace and by the power of God. Uh, Tim, when it comes to respectful communication, talking through disagreements in particular presents a really serious challenge for a lot of people. You write, quote, disagreements can be hard, but God gives us the grace to work through them if we resolve to process them with love. I think that many of us may hear that and say, okay, but I don't know what that means practically. I, we, I'm having a hard time connecting the dots here. You know, we agree with what you're saying in theory, but just have a hard time seeing how this is supposed to work in reality, in real life, especially when we're dealing with hurt feelings or yeah. resentment, you know, in, in the context of marriage, like you were talking about, but it could be in other, other relationships as well. So can you offer us some practical su suggestions for using godly communication in these particular situations? Yes. And, and, Really, and this is a point that I would want to make sure is, is clear. The, the book is written not just for marriage. It's, it's written for all kinds of relationships. As I say to people who ask me, who's the book for? I say, well, if you ever talk or listen to anyone on the planet, 
you probably uh, could benefit from this book. Uh, there are applications in the book uh, to racial dialogue and uh, stress and tensions. And, you know, there are, there are, in marriage, there are disagreements in the broader human world. There are deep and profound disagreements. How, how in the world, even among Christians, we've seen it recently, haven't we, in terms of politics and all the rest. How in the world do we navigate through these disagreements? And, and what are the, what's the practical way to get there? I think I'd suggest that the points of the book itself, in a sense, are practical steps in that direction. We, we really need to chill. And you know, we really need to open up and, and so forth as I go through the book. But even there, uh, there may be some help. And I do, I do give a number of suggestions in the book in this regard. There may need to be some help in terms of how do, okay, how do you even create a context where you can do the principles of C and O and M and communicate? And I suggest things like, well, first of all, spend some time in prayer. Just, just pray that God will give you grace. And then as you're getting ready to have a conversation with somebody with whom you disagree, prepare your thoughts. Don't uh, don't let it be this kind of uh, free-flowing, just say, what's, say what comes to mind. No, prepare your thoughts. Uh, prepare your words. Uh, ponder how to answer. I suggest finding some common ground. Don't assume that you you are just complete opposites or in complete disagreement with each other. Find some common ground. I suggest that people, instead of coming with accusations, they come with perceptions. They uh, This kind of gets to my uh, chapter, Assume You're Wrong, that there is in every disagreement, something for me to learn, which is to say that my perception about you or the person I'm disagreeing with is just a perception. Before I turn it into an accusation, let me let me express the perception. Let me let me offer what I think I'm seeing or hearing. And in disagreements, I think sometimes we can raise our ex when there's a moment of hoped-for reconciliation or understanding. I think we can. We can raise our expectations to a level that okay, we are gonna, we're gonna fix this. We're gonna, we're gonna have closure. Uh, we're gonna be able to get done with this and just move on. And life rarely works that way. Very, very often there is no closure. There will be loose ends that um, will kind of dangle there and tempt us to be frustrated or tempt us to to keep pushing the issue. And there are times when it's good just to. Uh, to come to more understanding than you had before the conversation began and be in a measure content with progress, even if it's not perfection, even if it's not completion. So there's any, you know, in the book, I, I go into uh, some life as this couple of charts uh, where I, I kind of lay out a number of um, number of practical steps in working through disagreements. I'd love for you to touch on the point of communication through social media, not necessarily mm. when we're face to face with people using our verbal words, but we're, you know, communicating through writing, through posting comments or sharing information. Those of us who are on social media have likely noticed how hostile people's interactions can be with one another on the various platforms. Can you talk a bit about how believers in Christ can more thoughtfully approach 
or even avoid these kinds of heated social media interactions? Yeah, you are putting your your finger on what is, I, I think, a crisis in the church and in the world today. Whereas at one point, if we had a disagreement or a conflict, it would be between us and you know maybe a few others in our lives. But now, via social media, conflicts go viral. They go global. They're, they're, the whole world is listening in and very often chiming in. And that rarely helps anybody or anything. And so there is this high level of hostility and incivility and just uh, recklessness in words and word choices and assumptions and interpretations. The reality is that all the principles of communication that we find in God's word need to be applied to the social media world. So I should chill i should i should mean what i say i should understand what i hear you know all the principles apply they don't stop applying because we're we're typing instead of speaking and we need to therefore to be cautious just at the level of well what is godly communication look like but then also at the level of realizing that there's a kind of verbal assassination there's a kind of verbal brutalizing and bullying and mistreating of others that goes on via social media that intensifies it magnifies the damage done as christians we we you know jesus said we will be held accountable for every idle word that includes words that come out of my fingers so to speak when i'm on facebook or in some other medium to me it's these it's sobering all of this is sobering in one level. At another level, it's exciting because we can have, we really can have amazing, wonderful relationships with others if we communicate well. And God's grace can bring that transformation. But if we get careless or fail to honor God's word and his principles when we start uh, punching in our latest post on Facebook or whatever, uh, the damage that can be done is is terrible and is grieving. It's heart-wrenching, uh, as you see it time and again. Even as a pastor, I see, you know, I see people I know who some some of the things they're saying, I just know that other people I know, if they read that, they're going to be wounded deeply. And then it goes the other way, and it just is so sad, but so prevalent. We as Christians, I think, really really need to be different from the world in this, but it's not easy. Absolutely. I echo your sentiment and just sitting back and observing the various dialogues, you know, happening on social media. And I too have been really surprised at how hostile that they have been and, and also I think um, saddened. But then at the same time, Tim, I think it's important that even for those of us maybe who may not participate in those types of conversations online, it was convicting for me to think, well, okay, I may be able to have a filter as I might call it online, mm -hmm. but but am I so godly in my communications personally, you know, yeah. with my family, with my children, with my husband? And so while I may not express some of my ungodly communication online, you know, it really just, like you said, the word sobering, even just to apply it when we see it in the world on social media to stop and ask ourselves, you know, is there a log in my own eye? 
you know, I'm, yeah. I'm surprised by this person's use of word choice or, or what have you, but is there something else in my life where I, this is true of me? that I'm not as gracious as I want to be in Christ with my language. So just the whole topic is really, like you said, I think sobering is an excellent word to describe yeah. it. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's interesting because in, uh, on, on social media, you're not face-to-face -face with the person and there's, a, there's the illusion of anonymity and, and you know, I, or, or at least there's, a, there's this feeling of this, I can type this, I can post this, uh, and I'm not face to face. I, I would never say this if I was face to face with that person. Uh, there's a kind of distance created, an illusion of distance created there through social media, which makes it easier to say things we shouldn't say. On the other hand, like you're just describing, when you're face to face with people, it can be very easy to say things you shouldn't say because it's it tends to be uh, we tend to be impulsive. We tend to be uh, quick with our words. We tend to be defensive. We tend to argue quick uh, face to face. So there's no buffer there. And it, it just, it, either way, it's easy to sin with our words. The, you know, the proverb there, in the multitude of words, there there is no sin lacking. The more we talk, the more likely it is we're going to sin, whether it's uh, social media or in the living room with a spouse. I appreciate that when you address the topic of peacemaking, you consider the who and the when. So the who and the when of peacemaking. And so sometimes I think our knee-jerk reactions in conflict or disagreement may be that the other person should go first. You're like, I'm going to sit here. I'm going to wait until they come and apologize to me, or they make the first step to reconcile. I'm not going first. They have to go first because they're in the wrong. And that we will not seek peace until that person who has mm. either wronged us or we feel has wronged us um, until they make the first step. So what does the Bible have to say about this approach to reconciliation? Yeah, it's a good question. Perhaps the most uh, aggravated form of what you've just described in terms of, you know, I'm not going to go first. They need to come to me is, is that additional part that if they don't know what they've done wrong, I'm not going to tell them, you know, uh, you know, they're good. in other words, they, they should both know their own, what they did and they should come to me. It's all on them to, uh, to make peace. Biblically, that just is not the case. I, two passages in Matthew are, for me, texts of Scripture that have a binding force on my conscience when in the midst of conflict. In Matthew 18, Jesus says that if your brother offends you, go to him in private and seek to be reconciled. In Matthew 5, Jesus says... That if you're at the altar and you're offering an offering to the Lord and remember that your brother is offended with you, go and be reconciled. So as to the who, who is responsible to initiate peace? Uh, the answer is me, no matter what the situation. If I'm the offender or the offended, Jesus says it's, it's my obligation to initiate peace with others. Uh, and, and that means that if I, if I know there's a conflict, if I know there's stress, if I know that there's an issue, I can't, I can't sit back and say, well, they're going to have to come to me. No, I have to initiate somehow the process of, of peace. And, 
you know, in the book, I, I talk about not just the who, but the when. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, which is to say, initiate peace. Make sure that you've made every effort each day to be at peace with others uh, before your head hits the pillow at night. And I, in, that, in that section, I, I talk about the, the prodigal son and really the prodigal son's father. Uh, who was so eager to make peace. Uh, our God is a reconciling God. He's a peacemaking God. The father was waiting for the prodigal son to come home and was poised and, and ready and eager for there to be peace. That's who our God is, and it should be who we are as well. It's one of, that God is a peacemaking God. We are made in the image of God. So let's be peacemaking men and women and initiate it just like God has while we were enemies Christ died for us and has reconciled us to himself so this is this is one of those and, and really all of them are one way or another but this is one of those truths in the book that really is reflected in the heart and love of God himself we can be like God if we pursue peace with others I love that you brought up that particular connection to to the Lord and the fact that he went first. And that was a really uh, helpful insight a few years ago that really became fresh to me was just studying how in terms of, you know, we were as sinners in an enemy of God, you know, we were in conflict with him because we were opposed to him and to his, you know, rule in our lives. And just the fact that we did not deserve for him to go first. If anything, he should have been up there like, well, they better figure their stuff yeah, out and yeah. come make peace with me or else, you know, and I mm -hmm. think sometimes when we're upset in conversations or disagreements, that's kind of the, the, the stance that we take, but God humbled himself, you know, coming down into our world and, and paying the penalty for our sins and making mm -hmm. peace through Christ with him. And so just for me, it's very convicting to remember yeah. that. And isn't it, isn't it, uh, it's just wonderful, even as you're talking about, it's just this initiative of God. You know, God so loved the world that He gave. You know, God takes the initiative. It's just a, it's it's a humbling, it's a joy giving, wonder filling truth that that God has initiated everything in our direction. You know, we love Him because He first loved us. You know, without without that love and initiative, where would you and I be? right now we yeah. certainly wouldn't be sitting here right uh, talking about this or uh, where would we be uh, but god in his grace has moved in our direction tim we have time for just a couple more questions so mm -hmm. i want to as i always like to do or at least i try to do in every episode is to bring the conversation back to Christ and his gospel for a few moments, particularly because this is a topic that can tempt us into a couple of different directions, right? So we can hear everything that has been said in this episode and respond, I believe, in despair that maybe we'll never be able to reach this pinnacle of respectful communication. And therefore, why even bother trying? Or we might err on the other side and then be tempted to another extreme, maybe get really motivated to tackle this head on in our own strength and power. 
And then we start to feel proud of ourselves that we've had a really good day of following God's communication rules. And now all of a sudden we're teetering on self-righteousness, especially as we notice how others maybe in our home or, or around us at the job or wherever we find ourselves, they're failing to communicate as well mm-hmm. as we are. You know, so it's either like one side is despair, the other side is self-righteousness. Can you explain how the gospel of Jesus Christ, keeping that in view, can steer us away from those particular temptations? Uh, another another great question. How do you adequately express the, the sufficiency of the gospel for both of these temptations, either despair on the one hand or self-righteousness on the other hand. But the gospel does address both of those. Those that are in despair can live in the hope of the gospel. The God, first of all, the, the, hope, the, the hope and the certainty, the assurance of forgiveness. You know, he has died for our sins. So think about every sinful word you have ever spoken. Think of every mean word, every hostile word, every cursing word, every disrespectful word. Jesus paid it all. I'm thinking in my mind back to Isaiah 6, where Isaiah has this vision of the Lord, and cherubim and and the seraphim are are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah sees and senses the, the transcendent holiness of God. And his first response this has always struck me, was, woe is me, I I am a man of unclean lips. It just strikes me that when he he encounters the holiness of God, the first sins that he thinks about are the sins of his lips, of his tongue, of his words. I'm a sinful man, and my words are sinful. They're unclean. Uh, But then what does the Lord do through one of the seraphim? takes a coal from the altar, touches Isaiah's lips and cleanses him. And just this beautiful picture of redemption that leads to transformation. God, through Christ, through the sacrifice of the cross, through the altar of Calvary, God has cleansed us. God has washed us. God has accepted us. So we need not despair. We need not despair in terms of guilt uh, and the fear of hell and condemnation. And because the gospel is transformative, it is the power of God, uh, and it does transform, it does change us, we can have hope of change, that we're never going to be perfect this side of heaven, but we are going to be better than we are now, and we are going to grow. And the the gospel is designed not just to fix the sins of our life, but to to get power to break the bands and the chains of sin in our life, to actually sanctify us, to actually transform us bit by bit, step by step in our life. That's that's God's design. That's the, the intent of the gospel. For those that tend towards self-righteousness, we need the gospel because it constantly humbles us. It constantly reminds us that um, our only basis of hope and confidence before God is the blood and the righteousness of Jesus. As good as we might think we're doing with our communication, the reality is there's hardly a day, if a day, that goes by when we don't fail in one way or another. And uh, 
that self-righteousness should be tempered by just reality. We're not as good as we think, <laughs> but it should also be tempered and humbled by the reality that Christ died for me. My only hope is in Christ and in Christ alone. So all of life is this way, uh, isn't it? Uh, you know, you you can't face any sin struggle without the power of the gospel so that we're functioning from a place of acceptance with God and not functioning in, in order to gain or win or earn acceptance with God, which would be futility. But God has accepted us in Christ, and therefore we can take the next step in the, pro in the process of growing in grace and in the image of God. Well, thank you for helping um, shed some light on, on that question. I really appreciate it. And I want to let you know that we are just about out of time. And so I am going to invite you, Pastor Tim, to do something that I ask every guest of the Hope and Help podcast to do, which is to speak directly to the audience. There may be someone listening to this podcast who is struggling to communicate with the people in their life respectfully. What would you say to this person to encourage them that God will give them the grace that they need to grow in Christ-like communication? Uh, thank you for the heart for, for people that's expressed in this, this question. I think what I would want to say uh, to anyone listening who is struggling here and perhaps discouraged when it comes to sins of the tongue or sins of the ear, so to speak, neither listening nor talking in a way that is respectful and loving toward others. I, I think I'd, first of all, want to make sure you understand that you're not in that struggle alone. And in fact, we all struggle with it. You know, James, in James chapter 3, asked the question, who, who can tame the tongue? It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And the whole point of that text, one of the points, is that James is saying this is a problem we all have. This is not just a problem of people who are, you know, particularly spiritually weak or, or failing. No, communication issues are, are issues we all face. And apart from the grace of God, we'd all fail in this. Now, I, I, I like to remind people to, to not be in despair as they read the first part of James 3, uh, because it, it just asks those kind of questions and describes the sins of communication in, in terms of real serious deadly poison. It is a it is a fire that does incredible damage. It's it's untamable. You know, you could read the first half of chapter three and be very discouraged. Okay, what hope is there? But then you read the last part of chapter three of James, and James says there is a wisdom that comes from above. And that wisdom is peaceable and gentle and open to reason. There is a wisdom that comes from above. So that means that there is hope. People may wonder, well, how do I how do I access that wisdom? Well, in James chapter one, James tell us, tells us, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to us. In other words, the wisdom that's from above that can actually transform the way we listen and talk is available to us. Let us ask of God. My encouragement to those who are struggling and discouraged is to realize that God is generous when it comes to wisdom 
in transforming the way we listen and talk with each other. And keep in mind that uh, we all have a high priest who is in the heavenly places, who's in the presence of God, who has been tempted in all ways like as we are yet without sin. So he knows our temptations and he understands understands and sympathizes with our weaknesses. And as a result, Hebrews 4, we can come boldly to the throne of grace to find grace to help in our time of need. So if people are discouraged, if anyone listening is discouraged and feeling like quitting, I just would want to encourage you to know that, first of all, we're all in this together. Secondly, God has promised to be generous in giving wisdom to transform how we listen and talk. And then third, we have a high priest uh, who's interceding for us, who's praying for us, uh, and who knows, who knows exactly what we need to grow and to gain victory in this area of our lives. So be encouraged uh, through the gospel and, and have hope. Uh, there is a wisdom that can transform our lives uh, to the glory of God. Thank you so much, Tim, for offering those encouragements. If the listener wants to get connected with you and your ministry, the other resources that you might have available, where can they connect with you online? Uh, I do have a website, uh, timothyshorey.com. Please feel free uh, to, to visit there. It uh, can also be reached uh, by email at respecttheimage at gmail.com and would be glad to hear from folks. Also, you'd find on the website, I do a, a weekly blog on various topics that may be of interest to people. And if I could say this, I also have a, a children's book called An ABC Prayer to Jesus, Praise for Hearts, Both Young and Old, and uh, praying that God blesses that as well. But uh, anybody can feel free to reach me at the website or that email. Awesome. Well, I'll make it easy for the listeners. If you are interested in getting a copy of Tim's book, Respect the Image, Reflecting Human Worth and How We Listen and Talk, or even in the new children's book that he just mentioned, or his website, I will link to all those places in the show notes. So you can scroll down, look at the show notes, click the link there, and it will take you to a page on IBCD's website where you can access all of that information Pastor Tim, I am so thankful that you took the time to join us for this conversation today. It's it's a heavy conversation, but a, a relevant, a timely message. I think this book is going to just be a big blessing to the body of Christ. I know it has benefited my husband and me personally, and I, I pray that it will help to change the climate in our home, and I hope the readers find it to be something that is encouraging and helpful in accessing that wisdom you were just talking about. So thanks again for joining us. Well, you are welcome, Christine. And I I hope that though it points heavy, there will be hope and encouragement for folks as well. So thank you for the chance to be on the program with you. I really appreciate it. Before we let you go, I'd like to remind you to visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help. There you can check out the show notes from today's episode. If you enjoyed today's conversation, why not subscribe to the podcast? That way you'll be notified when new weekly episodes release. Also, please don't keep the Hope and Help podcast a secret. If you know someone who could be encouraged by listening to this episode, please do them a favor by sharing it. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. Be sure to join us next time on the Hope and Help podcast.